Hello, this is the Russell Moore Podcast, and I'm him. And one of the things that we do on this show is to take your questions on moral or ethical or spiritual dilemmas that you might be facing in your family, in your workplace, in your spiritual life, and wherever. And one of those came in by email this week. It's not really a moral dilemma, but it is kind of a life question and sort of a life dilemma. And before I get to it, remember that you can send me your questions about anything that you're wrestling with at questions at russellmore.com, and I'll make up a pseudonym unless you tell me to use your name specifically for a couple reasons, to protect your privacy, and I like making up pseudonyms. So uh, send me your question, and we'll look at it. I mentioned this one uh, briefly in the More to the Point newsletter earlier this week from, let's just call him by the prophet Daniel's Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. Uh, So Belteshazzar writes in and he says this, I've always been struck by how productive you seem to be. I see the outputs of your work in the form of podcast articles, reviews, books, etc. But I'm curious about the inputs. How do you manage to read so much and stay engaged in what's happening culturally and take care of yourself spiritually, physically, emotionally, be present with your family, and do it all joyfully without burning out. Are there any specific practices that you've adopted over the years? And one reason that I ask is because I work full-time, my wife runs her own business, I have three young kids, I have responsibilities in the church and in the city, and I also try to take care of myself by working out a few times a week. After all of my responsibilities, I feel like that I have little time left over for extracurricular reading or creative outlets such as writing. And in some ways, I feel stunted in my personal growth due to the strain of just keeping the lights on. And I can't tell if this is just life with kids or if I need to radically restructure my time and my priorities. And so I addressed Belteshelar a little bit. Uh, in the newsletter, and and this is what I, I said. I don't feel very productive, um, especially these days. There's piles and piles of stuff here that I should have already completed, and it's engulfing me uh, around here. And I would say that you're probably more productive than you think you are. As a matter of fact, I know you are just from the things that you're mentioning in this list about what's going on in your life. And so uh, what I would say in terms of inputs is that I'm not as productive as you think I am on some of that stuff because a lot of that stuff is just stuff I do for fun. So I, I read a lot, yeah, but it's not because I think I have to. I read a lot because that's that's one of the things that I do for fun. And uh, it, it helps me in the same way that playing golf helps uh, somebody else. I read quickly and always have, but that's not productivity. I mean, it's no more of a virtue than talking quickly or eating quickly. It doesn't matter how how quickly you do it. It's, It's what you're interacting with. And so for me, all of that is just fun uh, for me. And the same thing about writing. There are some things I write because I have to, but a lot of what I'm doing in terms of writing is just because that's the way that I sort of work through what it is that I'm thinking or feeling. And so you may even notice that all of the books that I've written, and I'm, I'm just speaking off the cuff here, this is not what I put in the newsletter, all the books that I've written have all come out of some issue 
in uh, my life, other than the first book that I did was my dissertation that was in print form. But then after that, uh, Adopted for Life was my working through the adoption of our sons and helping other people through those questions of adoption and orphan care. And Tempted and Tried was because I was having to uh, counsel so many people in a church setting and in an institutional setting um, who, who most of them thought they were worse off spiritually than they actually were. And so I was, was helping them to, I was sort of helping myself think through how do I uh, counsel people through when they're actually doing a good job, by the grace of God, uh, grappling with temptation, but they don't feel like they are. So that's how Tempted and Tried uh, came about. Onward came about largely because I was talking to the search committee at the ministry that I now serve. And uh, these were questions that were being posed to me that I was answering, and that got me to thinking about the sorts of questions in Onward. And the same thing is true with Storm Toss, Family of Courage, Sand. These are all things that I was, uh, I was writing in order to sort of work through, hey, what do I think about these things? Not, um, not that I had a list of get this stuff done. So that's just that just helps me. Other people sort of work through things in other ways. So you do what it is that how, how God has designed you to do that. And so what I would say, though, is also, as I mentioned in the newsletter, you only see the end result. Uh, you know, and that's the case with all of us, with, with anybody else. We're, we're seeing their end result. You don't see all the procrastination and the half-finished projects, and not just half-finished. My, my problem is not so much half-finished as uh, not started, but I've got an entire list of article ideas and book ideas with sermon ideas, everything else, with, with all sorts of little notes to myself, never happened. I mean, I, I was looking through some, some files the other day or through some notebooks that I have and found some of that stuff from... 20 years ago, still haven't really uh, done anything with uh, some of that. So I don't really know as much how to counsel you on how to be productive, especially because I think you, you probably are. But I can help you to think through the things that make me unproductive, and maybe they can help you. So, so here's, here's sort of a, a list of things that I was thinking about that make me unproductive and and a lot of people that I've known over the years. And the first one is this, waiting for inspiration, right? I have a friend, my next door neighbor, who was a, a New Testament theologian, a New Testament scholar, and he would write commentary after commentary after commentary and book after book after book, get it done early. Uh, I mean, one time he had a project due years early. He would just sit in the uh, living room there at his house and write all of this uh, stuff out and get it in. I can't do that uh, in that in that way. So when it comes to, for instance, if I'm preaching or if I'm teaching, I have to be excited about what it is that I'm talking about usually. But I also have to have the adrenaline sort of kick in. So I can be uh, working on a lecture or a sermon, I'm thinking it through, I'm reading, I'm, I'm just pondering as I'm walking around, maybe writing notes to myself, but I'm usually not going to write out that sermon or 
that lecture, whatever it is, until right when uh, the adrenaline kicks in. So if I'm preaching on a Sunday morning, usually uh, that means Saturday night, sometimes Sunday morning. That's not when I start the preparation, but it's when I take all this sort of coagulated stuff that I've kind of tricked myself because it doesn't feel like preparation if I'm just excited about um, Elijah's encounter with the priests of Baal or whatever. But I write it out when the adrenaline kicks in, which is why it's it's impossible really for me to sit down and write an article that nobody has asked me to write. And that's why I used to I used to love it when I was writing for this magazine that had an editor that would constantly be pitching things. And he would say, hey, why don't you write an article about blood? Or uh, why don't you write an article? I know you like Maurice Sendak. Why don't you write an article about where the wild things are? He would, he would pitch these ideas and I would, uh, I would respond to what it is that he's saying. That's just the way that I can, can do it. But if I sit around and sort of wait until I feel like writing or preparing and feel like I'm prepared to prepare or write, I won't ever do it because the mood won't ever hit in that way. So that's why, it, and it, it, I can't I can't really trick myself with artificial deadlines. I have to really believe what it is that I've tricked myself with, these little life hacks. So one of them, for those of you who subscribe to the newsletter, is the newsletter. I put out uh, to the people that, that are out there, uh, sort of, hey, be my accountability project. And I'm going to send you every Monday morning sort of a first draft on stuff that I'm thinking about this week. And um, it's not necessarily the last word that I have on this stuff or even the first word, but it's just my thinking this stuff through. But because people know whether it's going to be there or not there, that means that I have to do it, whether I feel like it, whether I'm in the mood or not. And so I sit down then, usually on Sunday evenings, usually with absolutely no idea what it is that I'm going to write about. None. <laughs> and then I just start. And sometimes I've even thought, I don't have anything to say this week um, in the newsletter. But when I sit down and say, okay, I have to write this, the inspiration, at whatever degree, Tends to, tends to kick in. But waiting for that inspiration means that I'm just going to procrastinate. Okay, that's the first one. The second one is perfectionism. And by perfectionism, I don't mean that I've done something and I keep tinkering with it to make sure that it's perfect or to try to get it to be perfect. Some people do that. That's not really my problem. My problem is not getting started because I feel like I need to have a perfect conception of what it is that I'm going to say or whatever it is, is that I'm going to do. And I don't feel ready to do it in that sense. And Seth Godin, you know, I, I quote Seth Godin a lot uh, here because he's helped me a lot, especially on these sorts of issues. And one of the things that Godin points out is that perfectionism is hiding, and the, the reason he says this is because what perfectionism is, is, is not high standards. What it is, is the need to answer ahead of time every possible criticism of something. And what Godin says is that's impossible for a lot of reasons. Uh, one being nothing is for everybody. 
There's, there's going to be critiques of everything. And secondly, because a lot of what it takes to improve something is stuff that happens only in interaction. So you know, he uses the metaphor of shipping. You ship the work and then you interact with the people that you created it for. And, and, and I'm not talking about your critics who are coming in and saying, oh, that was terrible. And here's why. I'm talking about people who uh, support you. They were coming and saying, hey, but what about this? And, and what about that? How does this apply? Um, but perfectionism is something that's going to keep me from doing anything. And, you know, some people don't have this problem at all. I know, for instance, I was doing, and I'm about to start back to doing Reading in Exile uh, <laughs> uh, videos that I started doing at the beginning of the pandemic, where I just come in and say, hey, here's a book that um, that I, I think you should uh, read, and here's why. One of the reasons why I sort of dropped off from doing that is because I can't remember what books I have done before and what books I haven't, because I did so many of them, and I don't remember. And so I've got this sort of fear that I'm going to post a reading in exile where I come in and say, hey, everybody, here's um, Wendell Berry's Jaber Crow, and here's why you should read it. And somebody say, you did Jaber Crow back in October or, or, or something like that. And I just don't remember because it's in the rearview mirror. Well, that's, that's perfectionism. When in reality, who cares? You do it twice and you say, oh, I forgot that I, <laughs> I did it. So that might be uh, an issue for you. Number three is adrenaline. Okay. I mentioned I need a little bit of it. But too much of it is going to move uh, at least me into the opposite direction. So there's a way that fear or worry or, or stress can kind of move you from the creative or the intellectual or the imaginative into the limbic system. And so there's a there's a reason why you really can't create much when you're dodging bullets. You, you really can't. Um, you really can't do much when you're expecting a saber-toothed tiger to jump out uh, at, at any minute. Most people aren't writing songs as they're going uh, through a haunted house or, or on a roller coaster. And so, um, what happens then is if you have too much stress and uh, worry, or if you feel like you're under siege then that's going to shut down your ability to create. Uh, and you're just going to move. I, I just have to survive. And so, I mean, I've learned that with, I happen to serve in a, in a ministry context that's just really high uh, pressure in ways that I don't, you know, some ways that I like, I don't mind the adrenaline or the, the sort of jolt that comes with going on a live TV hit or, with speaking to a large group of people, that doesn't bother me at all. But what does bother me is getting a uh, text message that says, praying for you. And I think, well, what's happened? Is there, <laughs> is there some sort of a, an article or there's something is going on out there that I just don't know about? So much so that some of my friends have started saying, there's no reason for me to send this to you. Uh, other than I just happen to be thinking about you and am, am praying for you. So some of it might be um, for, for you, it might be uh, not just that you're under a lot of pressure, but you're putting too much pressure on yourself. 
And, and I really think that's what it is because it sounds to me like you're really productive and, and you're really doing a lot here. You're just not maybe doing some of the things that you want to do that maybe you're gifted to do. Some of that can just be time of life. And, uh, you know, it is when your kids are small, it's really a lot of work. And parenting's always going to be a lot of work, but it's different uh, when they're a little bit older. That brings its own sorts of challenges. But when my sons, the ones who are uh, teenagers now, became teenagers, once you get through that, you know, 12, 13, 14, yeah, that's that's rough on anybody. But then after that, there was an entirely different sort of interaction. You're not having to worry about car seats and who's in bed at bedtime and those those sorts of things. It really is not just a more joyful time of life, I've found, but a less stressful in some ways uh, sort of time. So that might be some of the issue for you is the pressure you're putting uh, on yourself because the sorts of things that you mentioned, writing and and reading and, and those sorts of things, which sounds like you're built to to want to do. Not everybody is. Most people aren't. But sounds like you are. It That comes about only through a kind of playful sort of mindset. And you can only have a playful sort of mindset when you're not under the gun and, and under constant sorts of uh, siege and, and pressure. So that might be a part of it. Number four for me is interruptions. If I'm in a flow of thought and I keep having interruptions, that's that's going to do two things. It's going to shut down my ability to get anything done and it's going to irritate me. I'm going to find that I'm irritated and a lot of times I feel irritated at the people that are interrupting me, but I'm really irritated at myself because I'm thinking I wanted to get this done and I haven't. So for instance, text messages and emails and, and those sorts of things, I've shut down the text messaging on my computer, but I still will, I can hear the buzz on the phone and it's almost more stressful for me to think, well, has something happened? I mean, is, is somebody texting me to say, I'm in the hospital or, you know, some sort of emergency? I, I have to find out what that is. And then you turn your attention to that uh, and it, it's interrupting and it's distracting. And you can do some things to mitigate that, but you can't do everything. Now, social media will definitely do that. If you're checking Twitter constantly or you're checking your Instagram feed constantly, uh, that will erode your attention and your ability to get anything done for sure. But there are going to be all sorts of other interruptions that you really, you really can't help. So that would be number four. Number five would be isolation. And I say that, um, that sounds like a contradiction from interruptions. Because at least for me, I need to have significant amounts of alone time in order to, uh, in order to get things done. Um, but I also have to have connectedness. And especially, um, I don't, often know what I think or feel about something until I say it or until I write it down. So for instance, I have a friend, we're in a book club together, and he sent uh, an email this this past uh, Saturday or Sunday 
to the guys, uh, those of us who are in the book club, and he's he's working on uh, he's working on a column. He's a uh, he's a columnist. He was writing on a, working on a column for Easter, and one of the things he was going to talk about is uh, the wounds of Jesus uh, being uh, still present after the resurrection. And so he was asking us, "Hey, what do you think?" Why is that the case? Why is the body uh, of Jesus not, quote unquote, perfect in the resurrection state and in the eternal state? Well, I hadn't really thought about that, but I sat down and answered his question, and it was a, a long answer. I realized, well, I do have thoughts about that. I didn't know what they were. But it happened in this sort of conversation, which is the sort of thing that happens when we get together with our book club and we're talking about all sorts of stuff, not just ideas, but also uh, common experiences and, and those sorts of things. It can, it can prompt creativity, productivity. Or um, I have another, um, y'all are going to think I do 15 book clubs a week. I'm in two, <laughs> but uh, one of them we meet, we meet in person. We're all here in the same place. And we started out reading through uh, T.S. Eliot's uh, Four Quartets. And I will sometimes come out of those uh, those gatherings with a month worth of uh, ideas just because of the stuff we're talking about. So for instance, um, one of the guys in that group is a singer, songwriter, producer, really smart, really creative guy. And he was just talking about the levels of uh, stress um, that that's happening and how people are becoming so angry with one another in social media, especially in the COVID era. And he said, you know, I feel like when I'm walking my dog, the, the dog doesn't even seem to even notice the other dogs in the neighborhood or the other people in the neighborhood. But when the dog's in the house and he's looking out the window through the glass, he goes crazy barking every time he sees a dog. And my friend said, I feel like that's what's going on right now is that everybody's behind glass and we're all just barking frantically uh, at, at one another. And well, those sorts of conversations are going to make connections and help me to think through things and to be a lot more productive as well as um, just the fact that being in community is, is healthy. Um, I mean, you, you can't uh, you can't be a well functioning person without it. But even just at the intellectual level, and I mentioned somewhere I don't even know uh, I don't even know where, but it, it's it feels like I'm repeating this. So if I've mentioned it here, just forgive me. But there's a meeting that I would uh, go to occasionally that is a total waste of time meeting. Nothing would ever get done at this meeting, even though it would happen on a regular cycle. And Maria knows and my colleagues know there is nothing that I hate more than a waste of time meeting. But this one, I would always want to go to because there was one guy that would be at that meeting that would sit around talking or I would be able to talk and have coffee with him um, somebody who was probably in his late 70s, early 80s, uh, really smart, really wise. And I would come away with a year's worth of ideas about things that he would say 
uh, or, or things that he and I would talk about that he would just be a catalyst for in ways that I, I couldn't have anywhere else. So that sort of, when, when I'm not having those kinds of interactions and I'm sort of isolated, then I'm not going to be as productive. Number six, imposter syndrome. I'm probably going to write about this um, in the newsletter because there are a lot of people who face this. So again, you 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 know think I'm productive, Daniel, only because you see the the end result. Not only do you not see what's going on in terms of everybody's process and all their failures and all their mess ups, but you also aren't able to see what's going on in in everyone's psyche. And what I've found is almost everybody that I've ever known who wasn't an imposter (laughs) had imposter syndrome. Now, I've known some people who maybe never uh, felt that way and always felt as though they were more than competent to do everything that they were doing and more than entitled to be everywhere that they were. Those were the people that actually were uh, kind of um, imposters. But everybody else always has this sense of, if everybody knew, really knew me, they would not want me to be doing whatever it is that I'm doing right now. And that really sort of transcends all kinds of callings. I've I've had uh, electricians, uh, a guy who was sort of the top of his game in terms of uh, being an electrician. Everybody uh, admired this guy. He was skilled beyond belief. And he would always say, it always is kind of scary because people are trusting me to wire uh, their entire homes or their buildings. And I'm thinking, am I really up for this? Um, and, and that goes, in, I've seen it in ministry. I've seen it everywhere. That's the case. I was laughing because Neil Gaiman, the novelist, um, wrote, um, somebody had sent it to me. He put up on Twitter about his imposter syndrome. And he said that he was in a, a conference and it was all of these people who were sorts of experts in their field and he was intimidated. And he kept thinking, you know, am, I'm really not at the caliber of these other people. They, they really don't know. I'm actually not that talented. And he happened to be talking to this elderly guy at the back of the room who uh, said, you know, my name's Neil. What's your name? Neil. And so they kind of bonded over the fact that they have the same name. And uh, this guy said, I don't even know why I'm here in this really esteemed group of people. And Neil Gaiman said, well, me too. That's exactly what I was thinking about myself. Has this conversation. And then before he leaves, he says, Neil, what's your last name? Armstrong. Neil Armstrong. Guy was the first person on the moon. (laughs) And he felt like an imposter. So a a lot of times you're going to find that productivity, at least this case for me, can slow down when you start thinking about, oh, I don't think that I really have anything to say, or I don't think that I really have anything to contribute uh, here. Or a lot of people who think, Um, in order for me to contribute, I have to be somebody else. And uh, I would see that a lot in uh, teaching students preaching. There'd be a lot of people who would come in and would try to preach like a Puritan paperback they had read. And it was dull as can be 
but also it was awkward and weird because it wasn't them. And uh, so sometimes that can kind of mess with your productivity, or at least it does with me. And then finally, I would say overload. And I mean, you've, Daniel, you've got, I wouldn't say overload because everything that you're doing here is uh, is good and commendable, but I would say you've got load. You, you've got a lot going on um, here. But I've found that productivity for me tends to suffer when I've got too many commitments that are not in the primary area of my giftedness. So, you know, traveling around a lot, uh, doing a bunch of speaking too much is going to shut down my productivity. And I'm actually going to find myself sometimes resenting, why did you uh, fly me across the country to come to this thing? Uh, Well, it's not their fault. It's my fault uh, for for doing this. So sometimes you can overcommit yourself and you're not going to have the time for reflection, for thought, and for a lot of sort of unstructured uh, kind of, of thought. So the inputs that you're talking about, whether it's reading, whether it's uh, talking to um, those, those uh, friends um, that you trust and that you find to be wise, or it's listening to podcasts or something like that, that input is only going to amount to productivity if you have time to process it and to... Uh, think think it through and and digest it. So taking in a bunch of, as you put it, inputs uh, in and of itself can sometimes be sort of the intellectual and imaginative equivalent of bulimia. It, it's not nourishing you because it's not really going anywhere. It's not it's not being incorporated into you and to, into the way that God has gifted you. And so I find that. I'm the most productive when I build in unstructured time to walk. For me, that works. For you, sounds like um, you know working out is one of those things that that you enjoy. And I'll bet it's probably a place where you're having a lot of, of processing and a lot of thinking uh, there. So keep doing that. Um, for me, something as simple as uh, during the pandemic, I would um, set for myself a time to drive every day to. Sonic, which is a drive-in fast food place, and to to go get a Diet Dr. Pepper or a Coke Zero, even though I had stopped drinking that stuff uh, before the pandemic, didn't think it was healthy for me. During the pandemic, I said, you know what? The world is uh, on the brink of collapse. What's a little bit of aspartame? And it was helpful, not because of the, the, the drinks themselves, but because of the fact that I would drive and I would have that alone time in a sort of routine, um, I knew where I was going. And so I could just think and I could process and pray and all of those sorts of things were really helpful to the point that, you know, Sonic, for those of you who don't have one, they, they have a, a thing called happy hour, um, which if you use the app is all the time. But if you don't, it's a certain time of the day. And so my kids just became accustomed to my saying, okay, I'm going to happy hour. And uh, even somebody called one day for me and they said, dad's at happy hour, you know, and I had to clear up the confusion about that. But anyway, these are some of the things that I find that make me unproductive 
And so maybe some of those are the case for you, maybe not. If they are, you can perhaps work backwards uh, from that. But I would say I don't think there's a lot that you need to do because I think you're more productive than you think you are. Maybe you have a question, uh, something uh, that you're wrestling with in your family, in your church, in your personal life. Um, You don't know what to do in a relationship. Well, email me at questions at russellmore.com and I will do my best to answer your question. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And it helps us if you leave a review there. That, that helps for people to, to find the show. And also be sure to check out Signposts where I have conversations with thinkers and leaders on a whole range of subjects. My conversation partners in recent days have included Tim Keller, Marilyn Robinson, and a bunch of others on a bunch of different uh, issues. This is Russell Moore. Onward.